I, I want to say something for, for my, my brother comes up, old Tyler. Just such a blessing. How many of you love Tyler and Carlin? And Carlin more so, more so than Tyler. No, I'm kidding. No, no. We love your wife, really. We do. No, I mean, uh, Tyler's a blessing to everywhere he's at. He's a natural at uh, presenting the gospel. I told him one time, it makes me jealous. He can get up here and you can say, now, Tyler, on the spur of the moment, I don't need you to speak on Mary had a little lamb. And somehow he'll bring a spiritual application to that. And you just feel like, oh, man, that was the best message I've ever heard in my life. I wouldn't drink that if it come from him. There's something in that water. <laughs> You're going to have to go to the bathroom before you finish. I wouldn't drink it. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> if they made clear x he's put it in there. I'll guarantee you, buddy. <clears throat> That's just my son. That's the way he rolls. Amen. I don't know where he gets that stuff from. But, uh, you know, there's people influence you um, in, in all areas. And, and we're either influenced or we're influencers. And most of the time we're both. We're being influenced by someone and we are also influencers. And, and so uh, I don't do this a lot, but, but I wanted to say that uh, Tyler's one of those folks. But my good friend William Ray right over here, he's Coach Ray. He's at Deer Creek School now. And he's been part of Tyler's life since, what, seventh grade, sixth, eighth? I don't know. A long time? Whatever he says, and, and we want to thank you for your spiritual guidance to the kids at, at Greenville Christian, Washington, and now at Deer Creek, and you are a big part of his life, big part of my family's life as, uh, with Ethan and Samantha, and so we want to say thank you for your godly leadership through the years. You're, you're a blessing, sir, and so honor is due to you. So will you give William Ray a hand for being the man he's called to be? Come on, Tyler. <clears throat> Yeah, I always tell the story about Coach Ray that he's the first person to uh, when I had sin and that I was dealing with and I needed help with because, you know, we all need to tell one, one practice every Christian. Am I loud? I feel like I'm really booming right now. Okay. Uh, one practice that uh, I think we as Christians need to do is, uh, is have accountability around us. And people that are going to ask you the hard questions, that's a lot of times the things we don't want is someone who's going to be willing to ask us the uncomfortable questions. But I always tell the story about Coach Ray that uh, I was walking out of class one day and you were the first person, I think, in my life to pull me aside after class and say, hey, but how are you doing with that sin? Have you fallen? Uh, if you have, let's pick you back up. Are you messing up? Are you struggling? Why? If you are, let's figure out why. Let's figure out where the snakes are getting in at. And that that was always been impactful to me in my life. So thank you for that. And as a testimony, we, you you need people like that around you constantly. You need. Uh, it, it's time we we take off this this thing that where we want to present ourselves like we're not filthy people. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has a quote. He says, don't get mad when people say bad things about you. You're far worse than what they called you anyways. <laughs> that's the truth. Because, I mean, look, if someone calls me something good, I look. Because if I showed you everything in my life that I've done, committed, and thought up on this screen, you'd, you'd have a lot worse to say about me. So just surround yourself with good people. Um, one thing I did want to uh, say this morning was just with the uh with the worship song just just remember this morning that uh God is undefeated right now okay he's never lost never lost and he never will and that's so huge we need to understand that uh last night we were watching a TV show called Superbook for parents and here who have probably seen it it's uh 
little kid show where these kids get taken back into biblical times and they have to see, uh, like almost like they get to be put in the scene, you know. And last night we were watching creation and stuff, and it showed the war in heaven where the devil gets cast out and everything. And uh, in there, though, as the devil's falling, they really made him look scary. As he and he really does look creepy as he's falling from the sky. He like transforms from something beautiful because the devil really was beautiful in heaven. And uh, to something just menacing and scary. And I looked over and my daughter's in her little onesie PJs and she's going, mm. and she's like looking through her eyes. She's at that age where she's looking through her eyes and she'll take a pillow and lay it over her face. And I happened to be across from her looking in my Bible and I looked up and I saw her and I said, no, 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 sweetie. You don't have to be afraid of him. He's, uh, no, let me tell you something. Jesus is stronger than him. And and at the end, Jesus is going to crush his head. I'm telling you that. You don't have to be afraid of him. And, and then and I sat there for a second. And, I, you know, it's like where you're on a roll, like almost like you're hitting a speed bag. And I looked down and I said, let me tell you something, sweetie. <laughs> I mean, I started preaching to her because I, start, I believed this. And I started getting mad, you know, because so many Christians and so many children are trapped with fear right now. And I told her, I said, let me tell you something, sweetie. God has never lost. He's undefeated. He's the reigning. He's defending. And he's going to end the champion. I'm telling you, he ain't going to lose. I promise you. That's done. And so I just wanted to tell somebody in here that, look, I know life's hard. And I know maybe it feels like the devil's been wearing you out. But let me tell you something. God's undefeated. And he's the one that fights for you in here. Don't, don't, don't let this Owen uh, Thousand guy over here convince you that this a thousand and oh guy can't win okay it ain't gonna happen i know we praise all the sports teams for their undefeated records and let me tell you god's is way stouter than theirs with that being said if y'all would let's uh let's pray real quick father god i thank you so much for your love and your mercy god in this place i thank you for how you've lord how you poured out your spirit already lord in the worship god jesus christ i thank you lord that you've just ministered God to us Lord and you've you've stirred the waters this morning already in the worship God and you've let us know God that there's a fountain Lord where every sinner no matter how dirty and how disgraceful we are God we we can come take a dip Lord and come out clean God that we can come out white as snow God it doesn't matter the sin we've committed it doesn't matter God how long we've committed how far down the road we've been Lord as long as we come to that fountain that is the blood of Jesus Christ we can and we will be washed, Lord, when our faith is in you. I thank you again for sending your son to die on the cross for us, God. And I pray that in this service, you would be magnified, God, and that this will be worship unto you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Now I'm going to do something. I'm going to drink this water so we have witnesses if I fall out. When he handed it to me, he said, I've already drank out of it. I said, that's that's the lightest thing he's ever told me when he's handed me a bottle of water. So, in Jesus' name, if something happens, the water's going to start turning to red or something here in a second. We, uh, I'm going to tell you, man, I just have yourself friends, but don't be careful with friends like Ethan. You know you've got a bad friend when every time he comes around, you pull this maneuver. <laughs> You know, that's what somebody, somebody said something to me one day. They said, why do you flinch? I said, because this has been 10 years of my life now. 
30 days builds up an, a habit. This is 10 years. It's going to take about 10 more to break this. So let's just give me time here. You, you know, it's like if you whoop a dog long enough, they'll, they won't love you for the rest of their life, okay? So give me a break. Yeah, that, look, I have prayed. I'm going to tell him, like, look, y'all, y'all ain't going to like me when I say this. Uh, my wife has a cousin, okay? It's your brother. <laughs> And notice how I'm not claiming it's my cousin. Hey, the other day he was talking about kids, and he's always, like, scaring my kids and stuff. But they laugh, and they think it's fun. And if you do something, he comes up and slaps you. I said, Coy, let me tell you something, man. I know this ain't biblical. I said, but don't bring your child around me when it's born. Because I told him, I said, I promise I'm liable to reach over and pop him. I mean, just get one in for the rest of my life just to say this is... You'll, you won't remember this, all right? At least my kids, they remember the torment. You won't remember this. And I'm getting that. I love y'all, Ethan, but I'm getting that way with your kids, man. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I will say for all the heck we give Ethan, he's good with kids. But anyways, with that being said, I got a message this morning that I really feel like is uh, it's an on-time message because I read it. Uh, I, I was... I don't really know how to explain it except for the fact that you know when God gives you something and you know whenever he speaks something to you and uh, just the whole time you're reading and you're going through it, it's just jumping out to you. And the title of today's message is simply High Time. And it's because I, I believe this, this is a message that is, most, that is meant today for LVA Church, but I believe it's going to affect the surrounding community. But in Romans chapter 13, and I'll give you guys time, it's going to become the main text is going to be Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 11. And then he says in verse 11, he says, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. It's my deep conviction, I believe a lot of you can concur with me, that we're no longer living in a day where we can be safe Christians anymore. We're no longer living in a day where we can just be passive Christians when people are in front of us pouring their hearts out or talking about sin in their life and we don't give them the antidote. We're no longer living in a time where we can just only thank God for when our IRAs are looking good, our retirements, our financial situation is looking good. You know, we, we, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, trust me, I'm not fixing to sit here and tell you you can't have those things. We just had a whole series on money and what, how we handle it. But here's the thing, church, we've got, we've had a group here in America that have come up and all they care about is their comforts right now. All they care about and, and, and look, the level of their comfort is how they're going to view God. If their bank statement's okay, then God's okay in their book. If they've got no trials, no tribulations in their life, then, then God's the greatest God ever. But the second they have them, they're, they're like the children of Israel. Moses went up on the mountain. They're making a new God. They're trying to find something else. We're no longer living in a world 
where it's truly safe to be a Christian. I now, let me say this as a disclaimer. I'm not standing up here like the guys you see in New York City that says the end is near, repent, with a sign on me. But in the same time, I am. But I'm saying I'm not that guy because I'm not telling you the end is tomorrow. I'm not telling you the end is next week. I'm not telling you that it's even next year. I don't know. Because I truthfully believe that even this morning as the worship was going on, I truly believe we're about to see a harvest of souls. I believe in America that we're going to, and, and look, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. You know, hey, sometimes it takes things getting bad. For Look, the children of Israel had to have things get bad on them before they started looking up. They had to be brought to their lowest state before they started looking up to heaven and saying something's got to change. And I believe that's what's happening in America right now. I believe in America we're about to see a harvest of souls, but we're also living in a place where it's not as safe to be a Christian as it used to be. Here's the reality of it. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be mocked. And people are not going to like what you have to say because you're raising up a standard that's contrary to what their flesh wants to do. But at the same time, you are going to come across people who are going to take the words you say like you're giving them water in the desert. So do not overlook those thirsty people that are looking for life just because this guy over here rejects it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the one you stand for. It's becoming increasingly dangerous to be of the faith, so much so that even changes are changing their stances on biblical topics to unbiblical right now just to play it safe. I hear people make the statements all the time where they make statements and they say, I cannot agree with the Bible simply because of its stance on homosexuality. And so what they're saying is my moral compass is better than God's. That's what they're saying. If you or I look at the Bible and say, I don't like what it says, therefore I don't, it's not real to me, then you are saying my moral compass is better than God's. Just the other day, this is a call for the church to wake up. So, you know, because just the other day I was listening to a, uh, I was watching a video of a, I'm stepping on a crumb down here that is under my foot. Ethan Tackett. <laughs> no. But just the other day I was watching a video and this guy, <clears throat> he said, if I was ever to find God, it'd have to be through Islam. Have to. And the guy, and they said, why? He said, because Christians don't even abide by their own Bible. He said, they got gay pastors. They got pastors that sleep around with the Congress. They got pastors that don't care about being faithful to their wife. They treat them bad at home, then come up here. and do, uh, No, Islam's way more consistent. And then they were kind of, it was like, hey, but they're killing people. And he was like, but they're consistent. That sounds terrible, right? But that just goes to show, I'm not saying the church should not be killing people now. Understand me. But it just goes to show that we are living in a day and age where people in the church are not even acting like the church anymore. We're not abiding by this word anymore. Pastors are not abiding by this word anymore. And people on the outside are looking in and going, I'm not going to follow that. I got more consistency out of my dog than I do you. Truthfully, I'm here to tell you, church, it's high time. We're not in a time anymore where we can just be lackadaisical. It's time for people to awake out of their sleep. About a year or two ago, my wife had a dream that she was looking at a congregation and there was people uh, laid back in their chairs and God said, what do they look like? And my wife said, they look dead. And God told her in the dream, no, they're asleep. 
A year after that, I had a dream that I'm standing in a church. This is just to show how much God works in marriage. I'm standing in a church, and a tornado is coming towards the church, and I'm running towards a wall, and I feel this, this, this it's like a storm's coming, okay? I'm not telling you that, hey, take this as a prophetic word, but look, I, I know what God was showing to me because I woke up with my heart beating in a sweat. I knew what this was. And there was a storm coming at the church. There was this tornado. And as I got ready to run to a tunnel, there was this concrete tunnel that was complete security. I knew in my head, I said, that's security. We will survive if we get to that tunnel right there. But then as I ran, it was like there was this impulse of what about people behind you? And when I turned around, I'll never forget, there was somebody just sprawled out on the chair, snoring asleep. And there was this, um, there was this tendency, I was just going, do I save them? Do I go to security? What do we do? And I remember waking up knowing it's, it's time to wake up. It's time for people to wake up out of their sleep. Quit just being pew setters. It's time for us to get serious about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Just last month, Three nations banded together that Ezekiel prophesied of the seven that w- or five that would come against Israel. Three banded together just last month. Call it coincidence if you want. It won't be when the other ones join in, I'm going to tell you. When I played football, we had this thing about the fourth quarter where all of a sudden, and those of you who know football, who know sports, you know the fourth quarter, it's when things get serious, Okay. It's when it's, it's no longer time. We can't be as lenient as we were in the first quarter. We can't do cute little trick plays in the fourth quarter like we did in the first quarter. It's entirely, entirely too risky. Because, see, in the first quarter, you had plenty of time to make up for it throughout the game. You could do little flea flickers. You could do little uh, sweeps and reverses, all these things. But in the fourth quarter, you dialed in and you said, okay, now we got it. Now every play counts. Every inch, every play counts because it can make the difference at the end of the game for that one second. If you don't think that's true, look at how many Super Bowls have been won and lost with one second on the clock. And then on top of that, you have this thing called the two-minute warning where the referees blow the whistle and they stop and they say, okay, now it's really serious. Now it's time to really take every play dead serious. And they don't even, here's the thing about it, the referees don't even cost you a timeout on that. It's that serious that they say, hey, look, we're going to let you get a glass of water and think about this because it's about to get real. Guys, I believe we're in those times right now. And before you say, but it could be several years, a thousand days is one day in heaven. A thousand years on earth is one day in heaven. I'm t- it's, it's quick. Some of you can look at right now, and you can look at your kids, and you never thought you were walking them down the aisles. You can remember just yesterday you were toting them out of a hospital room and now 20 years have passed and you've walked them down the aisle. Some of you getting ready. Some of you, oh, ours just started school this last week. Blew my mind. It goes quick. I personally believe we're in this two-minute long, two-minute warning right now. So then we ask the question, what do we got to do with this then? Let me just remind you, church, it's high time and it's time to awake out of sleep. We can't take every, we, we just, we simply cannot take every day as nothing anymore. He says in verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore. Well, let me say this first. And when it says in verse 11, our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. Here's one thing I, we got to realize here, church. 
all of our salvation, even theirs, is nearer than when we first believed. Some of your salvation could be tomorrow. Believe it or not, here's the reality. Now, I know this is terrible. Some people are going to die the day before Christ comes back. It's a sad reality for those who ain't going to go to heaven, but for those who are, hallelujah. But life doesn't stop. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just because we know Christ is coming doesn't mean all of a sudden the cycle of life stops. People are going to probably die within five seconds before he comes back. And here's the sad reality, and I, I know I'm, I'm not trying to sound morbid here, but here's the thing. I just told you we're in high time. I don't, we don't, Marty doesn't, I don't, no preacher has time anymore to play games up here in the pulpit because souls are in the balance. But I'm here to tell you right now, there are people who within the next five to ten hours, they're about to enter into either heaven or judgment. Their salvation is near or their judgment is near. That's, that's, that's happening. That right now, think about this, right now we got the sun out, but in another country the sun's down and someone's probably about to pass away in their sleep. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm just trying to wake us up to the reality because we live this life as if we've got tomorrow and as if we've got forever. Forever is in eternity. This is not forever. Forever is in eternity. But every day we live this life and we make decisions and we go about it as if it's nothing. We don't take advantage of the conversations with unbelievers. We don't take advantage of the conversations with people who are believers to strengthen them. I can't tell you how many times, I think I've told you all this story up here when I first started my job, how many times I ran into people who it was like God was just giving me a slow pitch softball and said, hit it out of the park, son. Because you don't have to be looking hard anymore. You don't even have to really walk out on that street and start screaming at the cars that pass by. You just walk in the store and ask someone, hey, how is your day? They're going to let you know. They're going to let you know. We're in high time, church, and our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So what do we do with this? Hunter, I didn't give you all any points for this because they came to me last night at 1 in the morning while I was still writing. <laughs> the best part about preaching a message is the nap after, I think. <laughs> yes, laying before the Lord. The first thing we need to do is in verse 13 where it says, let us walk properly as in the day, not... And oh, I'm sorry, verse 12, I apologize. I was in the wrong part. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Church, we have got to start ridding ourselves of the works of darkness, no matter how small they may seem in our life. What does the word say? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if you're like me, just a table crumb that falls into mine will pollute me. We have got to begin to look for these areas of our life that we are letting fall by the wayside. Some of it, it's our thoughts that we just think, hey, as long as I don't speak it, we're okay. No, we've got to learn to control our thoughts. What does Paul say in the Bible? We take every thought captive and submit it to the Word of God. We've got to start looking for the areas of our life where Christ has probably been beating on the door saying, hey, I need you to let me in here. This is infecting the rest of your life. One of the best things that I ever had as a brother of mine in the faith, I kept having this keep coming up. And he finally said, he said, you've got to look for the holes. You've got to figure out where this stuff is coming in at. Because until you do that, it's just going to keep coming. 
It's going to keep on coming. You've got to figure out where the holes are. Jesus said it best in Matthew 16 when he said, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Can I tell you something, church? I think the number one thing we need to do as far as casting off works of darkness is we need to die to this world. We live in a world, I don't even know really how to put it, but we are being suffocated by stuff, things, hobbies, anything, entertainment, anything that takes up our time, we are being suffocated by it in today's world. We have some people who we are just polluted with. We just want the next thing. We got to have the next piece of technology. We got to have a new truck. We got to have nice clothes to be accepted. And all the while, we say we love God, but really we only love him. But our happiness is honestly not based on what he's done, but on the stuff we have. Stuff is killing us, church. It's killing us. That's what they're trying to give to our kids constantly with these toys. They want them to think you always got to, you constantly got to have a toy. You constantly got to have this. Why do you think they're able to come out with new stuff every year? I remember whenever I had a game system and it was like $149. Now they're $500 and $600. And I remember my parents freaking out then. And now here I am going, how do they make a game system $700? Because people buy it. Because people buy it. Yet they say we can't understand the Word of God and there's thousands of translations and we won't spend $30 on a Bible. If I could give you one thing in this life that would, that would boost your relationship with Christ from the floor to the ceiling, it would be to quit caring about what anybody else thinks. And that has to be the number one thing that if we dig deep down in our hearts, why we don't go further. Oh, I believe, I believe just about every single one of us has an area of our life where if we would stop letting the, the thought of, well, what are they going to think influence us, we would have that area of our life fixed. Whether it be our obsession with materials, whether it be our pride, whether it be our anger, whether it, anything, if we would stop caring so much, I'll tell you what would really take flight, our witness if we would quit caring so much about what they're going to think about us and we would honestly look at that person as a soul hanging in the balance, it would change us. We would make godlier decisions in those moments and quit basing it off of what anybody thinks. I know I'm about to say a cliche here to you, but here's the thing. They can't, they can't speak for you and they can't speak against you at judgment. They can't say not one mumbling word. You know why? Because they're going to be in line awaiting theirs, apparently. I don't know if there's really going to be a line. I, have to, I, have, I tend to more think that God's so omnipotent and everywhere that it's going to happen. Everybody's going to have their time at one time. You know, I actually have to fight that urge whenever I even teach these fourth, fifth, and sixth graders up here. You know why? Because right now in the culture today, the church is being framed as a hate group. I'm going to give you a little church history here. The men who died in, the, in, in church history, and even in the Bible, they didn't die as martyrs to the public eye. Okay? To the church, we know what they died for. I know that Paul was beheaded for his faith. I know without a doubt. You know what the Romans beheaded him for? An enemy of the state. 
Have you paid attention to our politics right now? Y'all know about Title IX that's trying to make it a hate crime that if you don't identify somebody by their preferred pronouns and whatnot. You won't be miss. You won't be. They won't look. You, you, can, you can tell them to your blue in the face. But I was just preaching love, and they're going to tell you, nope, you hate people. You hate gay people. You hate straight people. You hate anybody that don't agree with you. You hate. These men in the Old Testament, they didn't have a glorious outgoing except for the angels in heaven and the church that witnessed it. They were persecuted and killed as enemies of the state. But you know what? It doesn't matter. You're not going to convince everyone, church. There's only one audience, one man that you need to be worried about. And when I come up here, I know whenever me and my wife are talking to these kids, I know that we're, t- we're preaching to more than just the kid. We're preaching to the public school systems that are trying to indoctrinate them. And let me say something. I understand. I know we have people that go to the public school system in here. And I understand not everybody can do private school. Not everybody can afford homeschooling. I understand that. But parents... When your child comes home, you have to be militant to wash out all the crap they've been fed that eight hours in that public school system. Anything at this point that is, and look, I didn't get up here really, it was not really my intention to talk about uh, politics or anything, but truthfully, I don't even know if I'd call it politics. I'm just going to state facts for the church, okay? Because here's the thing. They're going to spend eight hours a day. Anything that has federal money on it, they're going to be indoctrinating whoever comes in there on their beliefs. Just last week, I heard where a famous or a, a popular school that was really big that everyone loved and thought it'd never go left came home with a book from school that had my two mommies on it, Okay? Don't think just because your school has a blue ribbon or a black ribbon or all these accolades that if they're federally funded, it's going to get in there. I used to swear watching sports, oh, it'll never get to college sports. It's there. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. So what I'm saying, parents, is you have to be militant when your kids come home to wash out all the mess because I'm telling you, you might say Tyler's being a radical uh, Christian. You're daggum right I am because we got too many lazy Christians because here's the thing. Here's the honest-to-God truth right here. They understand me here. What, what did Paul say? We don't war against flesh and blood, right? What do we war against? Powers and principalities and those things in the heavenly places. I'm here to tell you, they don't like God and they don't want your kid knowing about him, okay? Period. And the only reason why prayer got taken out of schools is because it was taken out of the homes first. So we've got to win back our homes. Again, I'm not knocking anybody that has to send their child to a public school because I get it. Not everybody cannot do that. I understand. Trust me. And daggummit, after getting my first bill of private school, I about wanted to go to the public school myself. <laughs> Paid them an advance, and then all of a sudden there's T-shirts and cheerleading uniforms and pom-poms for the tennis shoes. And I'm thinking, well, we're about to go to the linen section of Walmart and start making this stuff, man. I... I'm going to tell you something. Mennonites had it right there, man. I'm going to tell you. (laughs) I won't ever say anything against a Mennonite another day in my life because I'm going to tell you something. They pay for their stuff cash, and they ain't, ain't, look, they don't worry about what people think about them. I'm about to rub elbows with Mennonites. (laughs) I'm not trying. I know I'm making jokes right now, but I'm telling you, when I found out they did dog food, too, I said, these folks got it going on. (laughs) Hmm. I'm sorry, y'all. I really hope I didn't distract from them. I'm just saying, as a, testament, as a testament to them, just so you know, a couple weeks back, we went to go see my mom and them, and um, 
This is going to sound funny, but I really don't mean it to be. But we were driving down the road, and this woman was walking with a five-gallon pail, boots up to here, her dress, and the head cut, like the, the old-school head covering. And, I, and my thought was there's a play in town. Seriously, I was like, there's a play in town. And I go back to my mom, and I'm talking to her, and she says, no, no. She said, they're real deal. I said, no, you're kidding me. She said, no, seriously. And when you go and when you go by their house and stuff, they got it going on, man. And you know what? They're free from the care of what anybody thinks about them. Because you know what? I guarantee you they got their home in order. And I guarantee you they got their finances and everything else in order as well. And they're living their life. And I guarantee you, I don't know all their doctrines, so don't, I, I don't know all their doctrines or anything like that. But I guarantee you this is one thing they have going for them. It's what's helped, what has helped them in their life. They don't care what anybody thinks about them. I said, man, I credit that woman. And I did. So the first thing we need to do, church, is we need to learn to take off the darkness and put on the light. Please hear me when I say this. Die Die, die to the love of this world. Die to it. And the last thing I want to say on this topic right here is, parents, speaking of high time, please invest time into your children. Just last Friday, I was walking, and it, it burned me up. It burned me up. I was walking out, and me and this guy had struck up a conversation, a really good conversation, and, but it was a quick one because he had to get back to work, and... and I was trying to ease out a little bit, but uh, we were talking, and we started talking about the kids. And if you ever want to know a segue, if you start talking about kids with people, the gospel's going to come up. I'm telling you, that's a really good way to talk to people about the gospel. And so as we were talking, we were talking about TV shows we're having to watch, and I was like, yeah, you know, we're on a Toy Story kick right now, one through three. And uh, I was like, we're on a Toy Story kick right now, just watching those on repeat. And he said, I know, my kids watch Paw Patrol. I said, yeah, but, you know, it, you, you learn to watch them and enjoy the shows, you know, whatever makes them happy, really. And, he, and as he eases out the door, he said, yeah, and whatever keeps them quiet and walks out. And I just thought, that seems to be the popular opinion right now. Whatever gets my kid to just shut up and leave me alone. Let me tell you something, parents in here, and this is something I had to learn. All kids want is your time. You don't have to buy them a Cadillac. You don't have to buy them this or buy them that. My daughter, one of the things I learned with her is that if you just let her feel like she's doing something with you, she's in hog heaven. We are remodeling the bathroom, and I have pencil marks all over my wall right now, but she swears she measured that entire wall. And she helped dad. She came out. I helped. She was telling everybody, I helped. I helped. All kids want is your time. Quit just throwing an iPad in front of their face. Quit just throwing technology in front of their face and saying, give me my time. You can get your time when they go to bed, but I'm tired. This is what you signed up for. I'm sorry, and I'm not trying, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to be mean when I say these things, but our kids, because here's the thing, to hit back on the public school system here, they're sitting there going, yeah, come here, we'll give you the time. We'll show you time and affection, and we'll give you these wrong doctrines, and we'll let you play and run around, and then we'll send you home to your parents who don't care about you. I go visit these little schools on my job. You know how many times I walk in there and they tell me, the workers tell me, man, you ought to see them at lunchtime. You can tell the kids who got a good home life and those who don't. Because some come in here and eat, 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 and then ask for more because it's the only meal they're going to get. Parents, it's time for us to step up, man. It, and I mean all, I mean me included. 
Quit worrying about getting your me time and kicking out the recliner and playing on the phone for a minute it, when you come home from a hard day of work. When we get home from work, your day's just beginning, brother. It's time for us to put a hand to plow because that's the most important thing you're going to do right there is investing into your children. And if you don't have children, you got loved ones around you that you can invest into, pour into them. Our job's just starting. I love y'all. I really do. But we just can't. Look, I'm telling you, they're militant. The devil is militant for our children right now. Number two, the next point is in verse 14. We can find it. It's uh, make no provision for the flesh. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. I know I'm running out of time, guys. Guys, provision means the act or process of providing for. And in there, you notice how he says literally no provision for the flesh. Just like I said earlier, we have got to get to a point where we weed out everything in our life that we're sitting there feeding our flesh. Men and women, I know mostly men, if you are looking on TikTok and YouTube and you know those promiscuous things are coming up, it's okay to cut that mess out of your life. You won't die without them. TikTok right now is taking the world by storm, and I'm telling you, me and my wife were talking about it just the other day. She said, I can't watch one video without the next one, which we don't have TikTok. We were watching YouTube shorts, but she can't watch one video, even the godly ones. You can have five preachers preaching their heart out, and the next one is going to be some promiscuous woman or man doing something they couldn't advertise and dial soap. That's the world we live in, guys. What did Christ say? If your eye causes you to sin, what did he say? Snatch it out. But we won't even cut YouTube and TikTok and Snapchat out of our life. Guys, we are in high time. We are in the final days. Marty said a couple weeks ago, and it struck a nerve with me. This thing's winding down. And we're worried about what, how many our Snapchat streaks. Guys, I'm not trying to just whoop you over the head this morning, but I'm trying to wake myself and all of us up. Those things don't matter. They don't. They're not going to speak for you. They're not going to add anything to your life, but I guarantee you they take away from it. You know how many times I go down the road and see people looking at videos on the phone? Or when I walk into places and I say, hey, I'm here to check on y'all, and they won't even look up to talk to me from their phone, and when you walk by them, they're on Facebook? Those things do not matter. What matters is Jesus Christ. Because one day, whether we like it or not, He's going to rip that sky open, and when He comes, that's all she wrote. The book of Daniel says that when He rises, and when the Ancient of Days the Ancient of Days, which is from beginning to end, takes his seat. It says the judgment will sit. You know what that means? It's done. There's no backing out. So, you know, we always want to say hell hath no fury on a, on a son who loses his dad's tools. It's going to be bad when the King of Kings rises up from his throne and sits down on the one of judgment. It's going to be too late then. And we're living in a world where we are just flooded with stuff and technology and just garbage. We give God, if we do, while we're falling asleep, 10 minutes in this world, but then we look at our screen time and we've got an hour on social media. This is ridiculous. 
I'm preaching to the choir. It's nothing for me to just sit there and swipe, 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 swipe. And I'm going, what am I even looking at? We're just swiping. It's habit now. Make no provision for the flesh. Let me tell you, church, if you want to get rid of stray dogs, quit feeding them. If you want to get rid of sin in your life, if you want to get rid of these things, quit feeding it. Cut out the mess. You might not fall to that sin today. You might see something that entices you and you don't fall to it today. But be rest assured, Christian, if you keep it hanging around your life and you might pass the test nine times, but I'm telling you, you're going to fall if you keep it in your life. Number 10 is going to get you. And if it don't get you, number 11 will. You will eventually fall. I've seen it in my life and I know you've seen it in your own life. Cut out any provision for the flesh. Begin to weed it out. Find it. Sniff for the bombs and dig them up and throw them out now because I'm telling you, it's not worth it. I heard a story of a man who, while he was laying on his deathbed, a preacher walked in to talk to him and he asked him, he said, why do you look so gloomy? And he said, well, preacher, if I had to be honest, this man's in his 70s. He said, I never, ever conquered pornography in my life. And all I could think is, oh, how? Horrible. You had 76 years to overcome this thing. And I don't know, in that, and you could tell the preacher telling the story, he was like, I didn't know how rampant he had it in his life. So I had a hard time really looking at the guy saying, oh, don't worry, God forgives you, because he was kind of going, this guy. I don't, he, I don't know if he's really even fought this thing. And I thought, 76 years, and now you're rolling the dice on your deathbed. That's, That's a true story. That guy's dead now. That's a true story. But every day in this high time, we have people rolling the dice. And they don't care. And we don't care in the church. And I'm telling you guys, God said judgment starts with the church. And I'm, I'm, beg I'm standing up here as a, as a guy. I know it's probably after 12, but I'm sitting here begging you, please wake up spiritually and physically, for those of you I see right now, wake up. Let's get out there and let's preach the gospel. Let's get out there and invest in the gospel. Let's not just have a Christ that's hearsay to us. It's only what Marty and Tyler tell you. Let's have a Christ that we've come to know personally because we've read it in this word. We've got to open the door to Christ and slam the door on sin. If you would flip with me, um, Lee, you can come on up if you want to. I almost didn't call you up here because, Lord, I feel guilty every time. Your husband's probably like, man, I can't sit through one service with her. <laughs> this next point, I struggled here. I was going to put keep your head in the clouds here because, you know, everybody likes to say all oh, their heads in the clouds. They're being unrealistic. I think it's about time the church puts their heads in the heavens more. You know, we say we're so heavenly minded that you know earthly good. We've become so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good in this society. We're so stuck on the world. We're so stuck on things. We're so stuck on our stocks, retirement, stuff, even life and death. Why should a Christian who truly believes in the resurrection worry about death? Why? I was talking to my mother-in-law the other day, and she was talking about her dad, and he's been really sick. And she said, I just don't think he's got much time. I said, but you know, 
her, we call her Lolly. And I said, you know, Lolly, here's the thing, though. There's no better feeling than to go to a funeral of somebody that you know, that you know, that you know where they went. That is a beautiful sight. When you know where they went, when you know where they are, and when that person at their age can look you in the eyes, and when you ask them and you say, Paul, Paul, can you tell me something? What is, the first, what is one thing you can leave me about Christ before you leave this earth? And they just begin to tear up, and they just begin to tell the story about how they were an alcoholic and then God, and, and, a, and a wife abuser and all these things that their kids didn't want to be around, and now he's known as one of the most godly men people know. Because God transformed his life, and then he'll look at you when he's done, and he'll say, and Tyler, I'm ready, and I'm tired, and I'm ready to see my Savior. How beautiful. He's not saying, oh, I'm depressed because I just bought this Bronco out here. I just retired yesterday. I'm afraid I'm going to die tomorrow. I want to at least live life a little bit. He said, no, I'm ready for life to begin. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also must be holy in all your conduct. Because it is, as it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges, according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. That is the key word. We don't have people resting their hearts fully on the graces to be brought to them because we don't have a lot of people that fear God anymore. We have lost our fear of God that when we commit an act, when we do something. The Bible says because sin is not readily punished for, people just disregard it and keep on doing it. But what does Paul say in the first book or first chapter of Romans? You are storing up for yourself wrath and indignation. If you don't repent, if you don't wake up, if you don't realize that, that Jesus is the Christ and he is coming back and you just handle it flippantly, you're storing up something for yourself. You're either storing up treasures in heaven or wrath in hell. That's the only way I know to put it. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rest your hope fully on that grace. Not on your circumstances. Not on your health. Not on your anything. Rest it fully on the grace that is to be brought to you because of this reason. Please tell me I told y'all verse 18. Did I tell y'all verse 18? Yes. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. God didn't buy you with mere money with George Washington on it. He didn't throw a few Lincoln copper pennies at you or gold coins with you to purchase you. No, no. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, as verse 19 says. That literally, as they sang the song, flows of blood was poured out for you at Calvary. This is why we rest our hope fully on the grace. This is why we celebrate Jesus Christ. This is why we must be so militant because you were not just bought with mere change. 
You were considered worth more than that to Christ. I tell my daughter all the time, I look her in her eyes and I tell her all the time, I'll say, sweetie, Jesus died for you on purpose. I I look her and I tell her, it was intentional, sweetie. He knew when he came down the earth and when he walked this earth and he did his ministry, he knew that he was coming to die. No ifs, ands, or buts. Before time began, he knew what he was going to do when he came. And the Bible says that he looked into the future and he saw the, the reward for his work. Isaiah 53 says it. I, he saw the reward for his work and he counted it worthy. And I tell her, he saw you, sweetie, when he was hanging on that cross. He looked for, and he didn't just see a girl. He saw Autumn Marie Finley with curly blonde hair. He saw you, baby. I'm not trying to be so passionate. I'm not trying to just beat on things. But man, if we would grasp this, church, that it's not flippant. He didn't just go by like a flower girl throwing a bunch of flowers and whoever picks them up, you get it. He was intentional, man. He saw Carl. He saw Scotty. He saw Dale. He saw you hanging on that cross and he counted it worthy. You are not redeemed with just mere money that passes away. You are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And here is the good news. That just like the song said, just like the song said, all you have to do to become clean is come take a plunge in that blood. And it washes off of you. Most of you know what it's like after a long day of work when you go sit in that shower and you see the filth hitting the bottom of that floor. That's all it takes. One drop can wash away and will a multitude of sins. If that's you in this place, I'm begging you today, please. I told Marty before I got up here, I said the waters are stirred this morning. And in my head, I was going, but it's a salvific stirring today. Salvation is here this morning. And it's time for some of us to be like the blind beggar who when he found out Jesus was coming by, he just knew, he found out about it, that he was saying, Jesus, Son of David, please have mercy on me. And people were trying to say, just hush, just hush. And Christ in his beauty and his majesty is walking and he hears it. And he's got this throng of people. It says that when Christ walked, the Bible talks about that people were so close, they were just bumping up on him. He had to be uncomfortable. And here's the thing, he had to be wore out. You can read in Scripture, he would try to go hide and pray and people would find him. And Jesus in his mercy hears it and stops the crowd And tells them, go get him. And I just cannot imagine being that blind man when they came up to him and he can't see a thing. And they said, hey, the teacher's calling you. Can you imagine? A man who's had no help from anybody in society. A man who had no hope going for him. He can't see. He's having to grab the deadgum walls. He can't work a job to get money. And all of a sudden they come up and his day has come. The teacher is calling you. Oh, my God. And then the first sights you see to be Jesus the Christ. Not just Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ. Magnified. 
is your first sight. I'm here to tell you, blind person, who doesn't know Christ, he's walking by you today. And I'm telling you, the teacher, I'm here telling you right now, so don't look for a sign. Don't say, God, please let him say this. This is your sign. The teacher is calling you. And he's ready to heal you of your sickness and your sin. He's ready today to accept you into eternity. If you'll just come to him in humility and repentance and, say, and ask for forgiveness and, then, and live your life for him, repent and live for him, the teacher's calling you today. And the Bible tells us that he will by no means cast away any that come to him. By no means. So before you say, well, Tyler, I just don't. By no means. If you would stand with me this morning. If you would, uh, I don't think there's much more to really say. It's my hope that you're going to heed the call today. If you would, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask everyone in here who knows the Lord, who knows Jesus Christ died for you and saved you from your sin. Guys, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm asking you to just begin to throw up prayers right now. I'm asking you to begin to throw up prayers right now as high as you can. Let it reach the throne of God right now, Lord. God, that you would have mercy, God, on the sinner this morning, Lord. And God, that you would draw them in this morning. God, to the man who's sitting on the edge of his seat because he's worried about what his family's going to think, God, raise him up to be the priest in his home today, God. There's no greater thing you can do, sir, than to be a man of God for your home. Your wife, don't worry about what your wife thinks. She's probably been waiting for this day. Ma'am, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Lord, I just pray today, God, that those people would come this morning and they would give their hearts to you, Lord, that they would give their life, they would turn it over, God, to you, the Savior, the only one who can do it, God. There is no other God but you, God. Allah can't do it because he's not, Lord, the Muslims, they can't do it because they're not real, God. Buddha can't do it because he's not real, God. None of them can think, speak, or reason, God, but you tell everything from beginning to end. You are, the only, you are the one true God this morning. You are the one true God this morning. We're going to have an altar call, and I'm asking you, for those of you who don't need to come, I'm asking you to please be praying, but I'm asking my people who are going to pray, please be ready, because if and, if and when someone comes up here, I want us to surround them. If that's you in this place, I'm begging you to come up here and let us lead you to Christ this morning, right now. You don't have to wait. I'm going to pray, but even while I'm praying right now, please, this is for you. Maybe you're in here and you say, I just haven't been taking it serious enough. Let's take it serious today. I'm going to pray, and when I'm finished, we're going to leave these altars open for you. But even now, please come. Father God, I thank you again for this time, Lord. 
God, I just... Before we go any further, God, I just want to magnify you, God, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, God. You're the first and the last, God. You're the beginning and the end. You're the ancient of days, God. Nobody, God, no devil in hell can, can stay your hand, Lord. There's no greater joy than to know that I serve the Most High God, Lord, that when you lay down a judgment, it's final, God. And when you lay down a pardon, it's final, God. Nobody can stay the magnificence hand. And I pray for the blind man or woman this morning that they would rise up and they would come up this morning and know the teacher is calling. The teacher is calling, God. The teacher is calling. In Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ's name I pray. If you would, just keep your heads down for just a moment. I'm going to be up here. If that's not you in this place, just begin to reflect on what Christ did for you. Just begin to reflect on the fact that He saw you in advance. If that's you, please don't take this time for granted.